Happy Sunday morning to you, and better yet, Happy Mother's Day. Mm, I'm going to kiss you. You can. Okay. Kiss on your cheek. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. To my mom, June Evans. Happy Mother's Day, mom. To Robin's mom, Diana, who we call Grand Doggy. Happy Mother's Day, Grand I. I love you guys, well, gals, and I'm thankful for you for birthing my lovely wife and mother for you birthing me. Robin is thankful. I am. Me too. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. We're so glad to come into your living rooms or bedrooms, wherever you are. I hate it has to be that way. I sure do miss you. Next week, just a couple of updates. We will be giving you some um, information on coming back. I'm ready. Yeah. Uh, coming back home, hopefully in June is what we're looking for. And we'll give you all the details next week. So make sure you tune back in. I hope everything's going well. Robin and I pray for you every single week. Our prayers are with you. And I say this all the time, but it's very meaningful to both of us. I thank you for the text you send us and for reaching out, for calling I know just this uh, few days ago, we had uh, some vandalism here at the church, some windows broken, and you know, there's just nothing worse than, uh, you know, just getting that kind of good news right when you think you're about to come over. But thank you. So many of you sent text messages and reached out and commented on social media, and it just means a lot. So thank you so much. We'll, uh, you know, we're figuring it all out, getting some new windows put back in, and we just keep the kingdom rolling. So thank you. I'm very appreciative. It's going to be very special today on Mother's Day. We've deviated a little bit. We've finished the Gospel of Mark. I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to coming back. I've got something on my heart when we return that's very special. But Robin and I talked, and we wanted to do something different this week and maybe even next week as well. We just want to talk to you about marriage. We are strolling up on 30 years together. Whew, and it's been good. We've had a great uh, life together. Uh, we've had wonderful days. We've had days where we've had to fight through and press through and war. But uh, we've warred a good warfare, kept the faith. And we just want to share with you today some things that we've learned through the years that I know uh, will be very practical to help you. So I don't know where you are in your marriage, uh, maybe you're in a great place and things are going wonderful. We're grateful for you and what a testimony you are. Maybe you're in a place that you're just about to kill him. You're tired of it. You're frustrated. You don't know what to do. I believe today can really help you. Maybe you've already been in a marriage and it came to an end and you've experienced divorce and maybe you're hurt or a little disillusioned about marriage. That's okay. I believe the things we share to you today can be very helpful. And finally, for all those that aren't married, do not tune out because we can drop a little bit of wisdom to you to help you uh, prepare for your future uh, because marriage is a great thing that, uh, man, can make or break a wonderful life. And Robin and I believe it's a very sacred thing. So we're just going to share our heart with you today, a little less preaching and a lot more just Things that we've experienced, it has worked for us that I believe will work all the way across the board. Have your communion ready at the end. She and I want to take communion with you. And also at the end of the video, we will have several names uh, at, uh, at the end of the video with phone numbers as well as some links in the YouTube description for people for you to reach out to for counseling, for prayer, for help in your marriage, or even if you're single, just in your personal life, they've all been willing to give a thumb up and say, absolutely, we would love to help. 
And there are people that Robin and I trust and we've used them as well. We've gone to them for counseling and wisdom and they speak such great wisdom to us and to our daughters. Uh, and so we, we want to pass that info to you because it is a great resource of help to you. We're praying for you. We love you. Let's jump right into it tonight. Uh, we're here recording and we're coming to you on, on Mother's Day. 1 Peter chapter 3, New Living Translation. A little bit different chapter and in my opinion, a lot of it taken out of context. So I'm going to try to share it in a very contextual way that it makes sense to you because over the 30 years of ministry that I've been in, man, I've heard it preached a lot, misquoted a lot. And so what a great chapter to talk about. We'll pull out some stuff out of it that'll be very practical. And it's going to be our Bible reading for the week to come. So 1 Peter chapter 3, read it every single day. Tune into the Bible reading project and uh, get going. And before we jump in, I just want to say one more thing. Thanks so much to Jennifer and Nessa and all the B-Kids team. They just do such a wonderful job. I watch the videos every single week. We'll put a link uh, in the description as well for you. Man, it's such a good thing. So shout out to all the B-Kids team that are working hard to bless your children. Well, let's jump right into it. First Peter chapter 3, New Living Translation. Here we go. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. <clears throat> Hang on just a minute. Got my pages mixed up. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and He will bless you for it. For the Scriptures say, If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and His ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns His face against those who do evil. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing good, for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but He died for sinners to bring you safely, safety, safely home to God. He suffered physical death but He was raised to life in the Spirit. 
So he went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He's seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities accept and powers accept His authority. Great stuff. I love it. Uh, again, a, a chapter that oftentimes is uh, taken way out of context because words like this really bother us. Master, authority, be subject to your husband. Um, and, you know, people, especially the, you know, hey, be careful, no makeup, no jewelry, don't cut your hair. I mean, there's so much in this chapter. Uh, I'm going to stay away from all that. I'm going to let you dive down the rabbit hole of YouTube and denominational preferences for all of the uh, opinions that people have on the chapter. But I want to share with you my take on it from 30 years being married with Robin and what I've pulled out of it. And it, it came years ago. Robin and I were married. Uh, gosh, we hadn't had Olivia yet, so we've been married less than two years. And we got in an argument. I don't even remember what it was about. I was in seminary, grad school. She was in school as well. And I was on staff at a church. And we got in an argument. And, and again, most those of you that know me know my personality. I don't scream. I don't holler. I don't cuss. I mean, all the years we've been married, I, I, don't, I don't raise my voice, slam doors. Uh, that's just not me. But for those of you that know me, I don't think my, uh, my weakness is any better than that because I'm a powder, meaning I hold it all inside. And sometimes that's even worse when it just builds up, you know. And so, But to me, that was godly. To me, it was godly to hold it all in, to never say anything, to just be quiet, zip my lip, and take it to God. And so I did what I always do in an argument. I just left. I thought, well... Before I say something stupid, uh, I better just leave. And so I left our little apartment. And I thought, well, what better thing to do than to go to the church and, and pray? All right, godly man I am. And so I went to the church and thought, well, if anybody could fix Robin, it would be God. And so I knelt down. I said, God, and it, right in the beginning of my prayer, this scripture popped up. And I heard the Lord just as clear as I'm talking to you. I heard the Lord say, why don't you go home and get it right with your wife before you come talk to me? And that one thing revolutionized how I saw marriage. That God cared more about my marriage than He cared about my spirituality and my religiosity. Because I was trying to be religious, like I'm just going to go pray. I'm going to ask God to change Robin. I'm going to ask God to heal Robin and fix her and uh, you know, and, and I'm the better man anyway because I didn't say anything and I left without saying anything I would regret. Now I'm going to come down here and talk to God in that scripture that said you need to be careful because even your prayers can be hindered. And I realized that was 1990. And I realized in 1990 that how this relationship works has great impact on my spiritual walk with God. And so many times we, you know, we, we kind of dichotomize the two. There's the spiritual mark or the spiritual me, and then there's the natural me. And we don't understand that how we relate to each other as a husband and wife, God genuinely cares about. 
And as a matter of fact, my personal opinion, my opinion here, I think God cares more about us as a couple than he does just me trying to be religious. Well, I'm going to hold my tongue. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to go read my Bible. I'm going to go pray. I'm going to fast. And I'm just going to believe God's going to do something. And God's like, you know what, Mark? I appreciate all your spirituality. I appreciate you really trying to be a cool, uh, you know, over-the-top religious dude here. But I want you to go back home and love your wife because when you love her, you love me. When you love her, you love yourself. And that, that revelation came to me years ago. And I've tried to live it. I mean, you know, I've, done, I've tried to do good with it. There are days I'm a human, right? I do dumb things and we have to work through them. But I want to take a few minutes and just share some practical things from my vantage point as a husband that I have applied to my life that have worked. So, and I don't believe they work because I'm spiritual or because, you know, they, they work for a few people. They just work because they're principles of God. And uh, so let's just look at it this way from this chapter. And this week, when you read it every day, I want you to ask God to really speak to you. But if you look at verse 1, it says this about the woman, uh, the wife. It says, in the same manner, and then it goes and says, you wives. And I think it's like verse 7, it says, uh, yes, yeah, verse 7. It says the same about the husbands. In the same way, you husbands. So before we talk about makeup and hair and authority and master and submission and all those, uh, you know, religious, weird uh, connotations we put on marriage, uh, I want to look at this phrase that starts the chapter off, in the same way wives, in the same way husbands. Uh, Robin and I, in the 30 years we've been married, I think truthfully we've never even had a conversation about authority, who submits to who, who should submit to who. We've never even had that conversation. It's never even come up in our home. And I think I've found a nugget of why because when it says, in the same way you wives, and then a litany of things for the women, in the same way you husbands, and then a, a whole list of things for the man as well, it's making a connection to the life of Jesus in the chapter previous. So if you really want to study this chapter about husbands and wives, you're going to have to back up a chapter, and you're going to have to read about the persecuted life of Jesus and in chapter 2, this is what it says about the persecuted life of Jesus. He submitted himself to the will of God. He didn't retaliate. Uh, you know, he, he didn't lose his temper uh, and do, not do the will of God. And I love what it said. He gave himself as for our healing. It says, by his stripes you've been made whole. And so the life of Jesus was to bring us to a wholeness. So when it says in the same way you wives, in the same way you husbands, it's assuming that the end goal of both of us is our wholeness and healing. And if it's anything other than that, then the chapter becomes futile. The chapter just becomes a bunch of religious dogma, submit woman, listen to me, Bible calls me master, you need to do what I say. All of that to me is a moot point if you take out the it, just like in the manner of Jesus, if you take that out, it's just futile. It's nothing more than two people arguing, trying to get whose way and who's right and who's wrong. And I know in our early years of marriage, um, you know, I would sometimes go to counseling and think, I just want the counselor to tell her she's wrong. That, that you know, that's I'm not really here to get healed. I'm here to have that person tell this person she's wrong. And I'm sure she may have felt that about me before. I just wish they would tell him he's an idiot and he's wrong and he needs, he needs to get, come to his senses. Because as a human, 
If I'm not careful, I will miss that in the same manner as Jesus. So let's start here. In the same manner as Jesus, Mark and Robin have to have one goal in mind, and that is for our healing. So the nature is when two people come together to get married, there's going to be problems. Uh, it doesn't matter how much we love Jesus. Uh, just two human beings grow in the same home, two different personalities. We are going to have problems. Uh, you know, I think it's normal and probably healthy too because it, it you know, exposes weak areas of your life. And, but the goal of both of us has never been to belittle, hurt, uh, you know, anger each other, but it's always been to find healing. And the beauty of that is once we know that whatever her opinions are are for my healing and whatever my opinions are for her healing and our healing, it's easier to work together. It's when you start, uh, you know, not going after each other's healing and you start going after each other's detriment. And, and just trying to knife each other. You know, I often say this, if, if one thing I know about husbands and wives, we know how to stick the knife and twist it. And we know how to push the button to make the button work. And uh, so let's just start with this. No matter where you are today, uh, you know, as I said in the beginning, great marriage, bad marriage, contemplating divorce, been there, done that, never doing it again. Wherever you are, let's start with this thought. In the same manner that Jesus can do the impossible, the impossible can happen in your marriage. Mm -hmm. Healing can come. So if you're thinking, no, it can't. I've tried it. I've waited. Robin's going to share some great practical things in a minute about that. But I've waited man, and nothing's happening. I just want to start here. Would you believe today and get it in your heart that healing is a hopeful thing for us? If you'll start there, it's good. So here's what I want to share with you just briefly. If in the same manner I have to look at me and in the same manner I have to look at Robin concerning Jesus, let's go back to Jesus. I've got three questions I wrote down that I would like you to write down for yourself concerning your marriage in relationship to Jesus. Here's how the ministry of Jesus started, Matthew chapter 3. Uh, the Father said this, This is my beloved Son. This is the very ending verses of Matthew 3. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So here's question one for marriage. Is your life individually pleasing to God? So let's start there. Husband, is your life right now, if God showed up in the room, are your habits, your mannerisms, your words, the way you talk to your wife, would God give you a check mark that that pleases Him? Uh, because if, if we're living anything other than that, no matter what we try to do, it's going to be a futile effort. You have to start with, are my personal actions pleasing to God the Father? It goes back to that story where I run out the door to go pray and God says, no, why don't you go back and get it right with Robin, then come back and pray. In other words, what God was letting me know is, I'm glad you feel religious, but you're not pleasing me right now. So look at your individual life, husband, wife. Are your actions right now pleasing to God? The way you talk to each other, the way you treat each other, um, the, the thoughts you have to each other, if they're negative thoughts, would those thoughts please God? So you're going to get a yes or no there. Yes, it does please God. No, they don't. If your answer is no, then we need to start with a very simple prayer. God, please forgive me. I know when you know, I went through my really hard, difficult time in 2010, 
I, I knew that there were things in my life that weren't pleasing to God. And, I, and this was my prayer. God, would you please heal my marriage? That was my prayer in April of 2011. God, would you please heal my marriage? This is what the Lord answered back to my heart. I can't heal your marriage when you're negative about your wife. And you see what I'm talking about there? There's this, there's this faith that I want God to do something, but my actions, my thoughts aren't pleasing to God. So, you know, if you're over here as a husband going, man, my marriage is terrible. We don't get along. We're never intimate. We just argue all the time. Well, those negative thoughts are not going to be pleasing to God. So step one, is my life, my thoughts, my habits, and my actions toward my spouse pleasing to God? The second thing is this. goes into Matthew chapter 4, still the life of Jesus. Jesus had to go into a warfare. He goes into the wilderness and he begins to fight. And you know what he's fighting for? He's fighting for the will of God and he's fighting for us. He sees value in you and I. So he goes into this great warfare because his life's purpose is to die for you and me. So this is my second question. Do you value your marriage? Do you place value in it? Uh, and I say this all the time, you know, just in counseling with people and talking with people, it's such a, a, a comical thing to me that we will put effort and energy into everything else but our marriage. I will put money into my hobbies. I will buy guns. I will buy bows. I will mount my kills on the wall and I'll, my accolades. I will buy cars and spend money on boats and houses and everything else. But when it comes to my marriage, I give it nothing more than chicken feed. I, I put no value in it at all. I will change the oil in my car every 3,000 miles, but by God, I'm not going to counseling. I'm not about to go talk to a preacher. I'm not about to go talk to a counselor. And so what I say in that is, so what you're telling me is your wife has about this much value in your mind. Or if you're the wife, your husband has this much value. Because the moment you say it's not worth going to get help, it's not worth going to someone who can help us heal up and help us come to a place to where we can find healing, then you're devaluing the very person God has put you with. And again, I just ask you, think about it. How much more effort do we put into our hobbies, uh, our automobiles, I always use that analogy, like we'll change the oil every 3,000 miles, but we'll never go to counseling. Like, oh no, I'm never going to talk to a preacher. I'm never going to talk to a counselor. I think that's stupid. I've tried it before. It didn't work. Okay, great. But, but put effort to it because this thing is valuable. So that's the second question I ask you. Do you see value? Are you just going to sit there on a couch in a living room hurting in your marriage uh, maybe habits and addictions have taken over. Maybe you haven't been intimate in weeks and months on end. Maybe you just have negative thoughts with one another going over and over and you're frustrated and you're kind of like, oh, it just is what it is. It's never going to work anyway. Okay, well, go back to question one. Is all of that pleasing to God? And then question two, are you willing to fight for it? Because when you fight for it, it shows value. When a man fights for a woman, it shows her that she has value to him. Not fight against her, but fight for her. 
Uh, you know, come on, husbands. Don't be the guy that sits at home. I don't want to go talk. It's embarrassing. I don't want to go talk to a preacher. I don't want to talk to a counselor. It's never going to help us anyway. Okay, get over it. Uh, you'll need help, and help is okay. Uh, you know, rather than seeing counseling and help as a detrimental thing, see it as an investment. And when you look at counseling and, uh, you know, books you can read, conferences you can go to, uh, as an investment, it makes it a lot easier. And then the final thing is this, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you know what he's praying? God, it's not my will, it's your will. And you know, I think for me in, the, in marriage, 30 years with Robin, I think one of the biggest battles is not Robin, it's me. It's when my will gets in the way. By God, I want it my way. I want to be happy. She needs to please me. And, and I've just learned this. My third, I wrote this down as the third question. Am I willing to pursue God's will? And then in, in little brackets, I put down there, selfish. Because as long as you're selfish your marriage is never going to find healing. As long as your habits override the value of your wife or your husband, you'll never find healing. As long as your addictions take precedence, as long as you're overspending, as long as you're neglect, uh, you're, you're um, ignoring each other, he's in one room, you're just taking care of the kids, he's doing his things, you pass light ships in the night, you know, selfishness is a big problem in many marriages. So I'll, I'll read my three questions again, and then I'm going to turn it over to Robin to share some very practical things. Here's what's helped me keep our marriage on a healthy thing. Question one, is my marriage pleasing to God? And then I go personal. Is my personal life pleasing to God? I, I'm as honest as I can with that. I check it off, and then I deal with that. Question two, am I willing to fight for victory? Do I place value in her? Am I willing to go to counseling? You know, we drove three hours one time to go to counseling and we did that week on end over and over to go to counseling because we find value in this relationship. Uh, that's the second question. Am I willing to fight for victory because I put value in my spouse? And the third, am I willing to pursue God's will or am I just going to sit here whining and complaining because I'm too selfish to do anything? Those three things have helped me uh, be the best husband I can be. They've helped me, uh, you know, hold as a good father and a good husband the best I can be. And maybe right now you're married to somebody they don't even care about God. They're not, I'm not going to talk to a preacher. I don't even care about the Bible. Hey, that's okay. You can still apply all three for yourself and still press in and fight and still find value regardless of what your spouse does because that's the beauty of faith. Amen. Amen. I'll turn it to you. All right. Well, um, before I move to the two things that um, I was going to discuss, I just want to address number two with, with you, and Mark kind of touched on it for a minute. But um, this thing of, of fighting and investment and, and value and really putting your hand to the plow to run after that, that thing that you've got set out there. And I hope that you have a, a thing that we would call a vision or healing or a plan for your marriage. I think that one of the reasons... Um, that I bump into as far as uh, counseling couples um, with the resistance and the hesitancy to put that investment in. Sometimes it's really not um, 
sometimes it's not about being selfish or being a jerk, although sometimes we all are selfish and, and jerk-like, but sometimes it's just we, we think that we can grab our marriage and we can just make it work. And some of our skill sets are just not there. Sure. We get what we get from um, being raised, from what we see with our parents, from what we see with family members. Um, we sometimes gather information from the ridiculous source of television, movies, drama. We think it's all got to play out like this. Um, and some of us are trying to fix something, um, and we're just about as inept as I would be at fixing a tooth. But yet I would spend money to go get a hurting tooth fixed, and I would um, invest in finding a great dentist, a great you know surgeon to do whatever had to be done, because I would know and recognize that I don't have that skill set. And so for some of us, I think it's just a matter of recognizing that help is not a bad thing. Right. It's just not a negative thing. So I think that for number two, that investment and, and putting forth that effort, I, I think it can come with a touch of humility that says, you know what, we, we don't have it all together. Right. We don't know what we're doing and we need that. And who does know? Right. We, you know, <laughs> we need that, that help that, right. that comes along. So I just encourage you to do that. You don't have to know it all. You don't have to have it all together. Um, but God can knit us with people along the way if we will pursue them. And sometimes it, it takes the investment of driving and finding them. And um, sometimes it takes the investment of paying them. But it is so, so well worth it. And I it. think that investment, making the investment, I love what you said. It's humility. But you don't have to fear it. Like I, I've never met a couple yet that doesn't have problems and it's normal. Problems are normal. You don't have to fear it or apologize for having problems. I mean, it's like it's normal when two people. So, uh, you know, look at the investment as a positive thing and, and not apologetically. Right. Like, oh, I've got problems. Of course, we all We do, all have so, them. Yeah. <laughs> we do. So um, one of the things I love about this passage, and Mark brought it out a little bit when he talked about the the whole, you're my master and, you know, mm -hmm. I submit to you. And then the second part of of that chapter begins to lean into um, things that the husband is supposed to do for the wife. Um, but if you keep reading through the chapter, it gets into um, even where the previous chapter had landed with Jesus Christ and, and the submission that he had um, just to lay his life down for us and to be Jesus for us. And one of the things that um, I've tried to do as a Christian just in my personal life, so um, before marriage, before motherhood, um, before an employee, all of those things, is I try to make Jesus Christ a very real reality, um, a very real person who lives in me. So I, um, from a young age, learned to take him out of that book, even though he is that book, but to have him live on the inside of me, which means I hear him. I bend my ear towards him. My thoughts are on him towards um, the evening time. When I rise in the morning, my thoughts are, are on him. Um, I have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So as I have brought that into my marriage, um, I have had to learn that the Holy Spirit has something very specific that He wants to say to me. He has very, very specific things that He wants to say to you, and He has a very specific plan for my life and, and for my marriage. And um, Jesus said it like this. He said, the letter of the law killeth. And um, that can be a scary scripture because people can take it out of context and run with whatever whim that they get. But um, I've, seen, I've seen the letter of the law be a huge detriment on both sides of a marriage relationship. And let me explain to you what I mean. Um, I, I've seen women who have stayed in abusive relationships um, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years, their whole life, all based on the concept um, that God hates divorce. Mm -hmm. 
and God does hate divorce. God also hates a lot of other things. He hates abuse. He hates holes being punched in the wall. He hates screaming and cursing and children having to hide under their beds because they're fearful of what's going on. So, so to the woman or the spouse who's involved in a relationship that is complicated like that, my advice is that you hear the Holy Spirit, that you delve into a very good understanding of what it means to honor a commitment, what it means to break a covenant, um, that you don't allow yourself to live in this religious box, if mm-hmm. I can say so safely. So, and why, you know, I'm kind of cautioning that because I, I don't want people to just run off on a whim, but I do want people to understand that that, that box is alive. Jesus is alive and he's, a, he's an alive, breathing God and he wants to speak to you. I've also seen people um, throw, throw a marriage away just because um, their spouse looked at or talked to another person and, um, you know, immediately jumped on the adultery bandwagon and immediately bumped on, I have every right to leave and I'm out of here. Never taking into consideration the other scriptures that talk about love and forgiveness and patience and um, kindness and gentleness. And so I think that, that we have to take our lives and our marriage and our situations and circumstances and we have to couple those with the Word and with the Holy Spirit and His voice and what He's saying to us. Otherwise, we get into real trouble, I think. Yeah. Um, and it, it can affect our life for a very, very long time. So my, my first point would be to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Invite Him into your life to do life with you so that you hear Him, that your ear is meant to Him. And when things happen in your life and in your marriage, you can understand exactly what it is that He's saying to you for that moment and for that situation. I yeah. think it's imperative. I think right. in concerning the investment side again, um, you know, what happens in a crisis moment when a fight breaks out, uh, two opinions start going back and forth. I call it yang yang. I don't know if I can spell that. <laughs> yang yang, you know. Um, once that kind of starts and we go start going back and forth, tit for tat and putting the knife in and punching each other's button, what you have to know in a crisis a crisis, when it hits us, we don't think investment. We think withdrawal. Get it out. Get, get everything out. I mean, think about the Great Depression. There was a crisis and everybody runs on the bank. I want my money and the whole thing tanks. Well, in a crisis moment, when an argument breaks out, the first thing that's going to arise is not a thought of, ooh, I want to make a spiritual investment. Mm-hmm. The first thing that's going to arise is uh, I'm going to revert back to my old habits I'm going to revert back to the way I was raised. I'm going to revert back to how my mom treated my dad or my dad treated my mom. And man, it doesn't take long before old habits will surface. So I, would, I know Robin and I both would just encourage you that when a crisis arises, uh, you know, don't, don't respond in such a way that's just going to leave you with mounds of regret. Things you say that are stupid and regretful and hurtful and because words are so powerful, uh, you know, but I would like to say this, in a crisis moment, don't just tank, don't give up, don't, you know, I love what she said, I can be so spiritual, I was counseling someone years ago, and I said to them, I said, it just seems like y'all hate each other, like, I don't even know why you're married, I mean, you literally, like, you hate one another, they were so mean to each other, they would cuss each other, he would slam doors and put his fist through the wall. I mean, it was just, but yet at the same time, what Robin said is so true. They would never divorce. 
And I'll be like, why are you all even together? Y'all hate each other. And they just went religious. We're not, we're not divorcing. God hates divorce. And, and that's when I said, yeah, but he, he hates the cussing and the hitting the walls. And so I think that is important. Such yeah. a good thing, man, so, to listen to the Spirit. I think we can become so religious that we can even argue religiously, oh, like sure. Scripture to Scripture. I'll throw it at you, you throw it at me, and we're both standing on our Scriptures. Yeah. So that's what I mean by, by just not living in, in that box. And um, the second thing, you know, um, I, I, I think we have to have a long a long-term plan and vision for life. I think we have to be patient. Mark and I, um, you know, we go out on, on dates most every Friday night, except, except Corona. Um, so we do try to spend a lot of time together just, just going on dates. And nothing blesses me more than to see, um, I don't know, just to, to watch us age and then to watch couples around us that are around our age or even older that are dating because, I mean, that are, that are still married and, and going out spending time together because there's a longevity that comes around in life that, that you don't understand and nor do you even have a, a proper feel for, I think, in your 20s and 30s. I don't think you understand what it means to, um, to go to dinner with the same man who was there when I birthed my kids. Um, you know, that, that I don't have to have a conversation. And I know that some of us by, you know, by default have, have ended up in situations where that isn't our um, current situation. So I don't mean anything derogatory towards you or that your life is not blessed. Um, but it is a blessing to me to be able to sit with you and, and to be able to know that you were there um, when I birthed Olivia, you're her, her dad, and just that there's just this there's just a longevity that I'm so sad that this generation doesn't understand yeah. and that they can't hold on to. And a lot of times it's, it's, it's solely because we weren't patient. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard of couples who, you know, it's, they haven't had sex in a month and they throw it away. And I'm just like, sure. you know, there, there's longevity that comes with trying to figure out a sex life, trying to figure out finances. I've, I've had couples who, you know, well, he won't give me any money or, you know, the man saying she spends all the money and I'm done. I'm out of here. You know, I have nothing left. And, um, We've had to be patient with one another. Um, we've had to be patient with ourselves. We've had to be patient with the plan that God has for us. It wasn't an overnight fix. Um, when, when we have been to counseling, it's been two years since before. Mm -hmm. It's been two years since that we're putting our hand to the plow and we are not looking back. Um, and I think patience is imperative. The Bible talks about Noah and how long it took him just to, um, you know, build the boat. The Bible talks about Moses and his life and the span of things. And I think we look at the fathers of faith and it wasn't an overnight thing. Um, the life and the fruit that they brought forth for the kingdom, for God, for, for God's plan. Um, even God getting Jesus here was not an overnight thing. He could have done it overnight, which is the amazing thing. I mean, mm -hmm. he, he could have the moment Adam and Eve sinned, he could have just said, okay, here, here's the fix. Um, he rarely works like just here's the fix. So there's something about him that requires faith. It requires us to put our hand to the plow. It requires us to delve in and um, be patient and to know him. I, I think of the ways that I know him just because of marriage. You know, the Bible says that marriage is a reflection of his relationship to me anyway. And it's just been so enhanced by doing life with someone, sure. the good, the bad, the, the ugly. So I would say be patient. Don't be so religious and be patient. Yeah, that would I, be my two things. Yeah, even Robin and I in 30 years, um, we've had to work out our sex life. We've had to work out spending money. 
you know, credit card issues, children. debt issues, children issues, uh, discipline issues. Uh, you know, she doesn't like the way I discipline. I didn't like the way she disciplined. Um, you know, but I think we both went into it with an attitude. And I, I will say this about, you know, with, with our, even our biggest struggle, both of us have always kept each other in a place of value. Um, you know, that we highly value the other person. And, and I remember we were driving down Highway 181 in Johnson City, Tennessee, and, and we had, things had just been going really well for us. And, and I was like, wow, things have been really good. And she goes, I know, it's been really good. And, uh, and I said, do you know why? And she goes, well, I know why. And we started talking and then mutually both said, because we, could, we quit trying to change each other. And we just started asking God to help us personally. Help me, God. She started praying God help her. And therefore, you get God into the equation. But even with those prayers, it's taken patience. That's why the end of the chapter, chapter 3, it goes into this story that, of God's patience with the generation of Noah. And uh, it takes patience. You know, you may say, well, I've prayed. I've been to counseling. Okay, keep going. Keep praying. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. And maybe you did. Maybe your spouse threw in the towel and checked out. I'm out of here. And they left you. And, and you, you had to go through a very hellacious divorce. And, but I want to encourage you, even in the divorce, there's healing and there's hope. And you don't have to take the hurt into the next marriage should you choose to get married again or live bitter if you choose to stay single. There's hope and there's healing for you. But many times we just have to be patient. So if, you know, if you're in a divorce situation, don't just jump right back into a relationship. Be patient. Ask God to, to help you and work with you. And if you're in a broken marriage right now, don't throw in the towel. Uh, you know, quit threatening divorce and every argument. We well, ought to just leave. Why don't you just get out? You'd be better without me anyway. Uh, you'd be better off. You know, all the stuff we say, be patient. Give God time work on it. So let's look at this. Here's what we want you to do. Is your marriage pleasing God? Yes or no? Are you willing to invest into your spouse? Are you willing to make the extra effort to fight for it, to put value into it? And are you willing to die to selfishness? Selfish behavior destroys a marriage. Then what Robin said, the very practical, would you just press into the Holy Spirit you know, all the scriptures we get and we try to live them, but then there's these areas of our life that are just aren't pleasing to the Holy Spirit. And then just be patient. And I love what it says about Noah. Do you know how Noah did it? He had a plan. Noah had a plan. 75 feet by 450 feet by 45 feet high. He had a plan given to him by God. And the reason a lot of marriages don't work well is they don't have a plan. They're living on whims, living on emotions. So at the very end, we're going to give you some phone numbers with some names of people who are very good at marriage help. They're very good at helping you invest into your marriage and even helping you craft a plan. Maybe you're stuck, stuck on a problem, stuck financially, stuck spiritually, struggling with addictions or habits that are hurting the marriage. Maybe you're just hopeless, like, I don't think it's ever going to work. We're going to give you those names, and I would just encourage you to make a phone call. Be bold. 
make that phone call, set up an appointment, and begin to get a plan. Because when you have a plan and you're not just living on a whim, man, life is a lot more in your favor to be successful. Robin and I are here as well. I'm not a professional counselor, but I love you. And I don't ever mind sharing my heart with you and sharing my stories and my failures and my strengths with you, and I'll help you. And I know Robin will do the same. Uh, we would love to do the same for you to help you get a plan. But I will say this as we get ready to take communion. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't be negative. Be patient and get a plan and we'll help you get that plan. We love you dearly. We want you to get your communion elements ready. We're going to take communion with you and we're going to believe during this time of communion that the Holy Spirit is going to give you great grace to fight for your marriage, to invest into it in a crisis moment. So if you're in the middle of a crisis and you know, and if you can, I don't know where you are in the moment of your marriage, but if you can join hands with your spouse and you're not to that level where you're just kind of in separate rooms, you know, just tolerating each other, join hands together. If you are in a place where you're, you know, you're struggling, you're, you're just not talking right now for one reason or another, then I would just encourage you to just take communion in faith that God is going to bring healing to your marriage and that God is going to work in supernatural ways. You don't have to give up and throw in the towel. And let's believe that God can work. And if you're divorced, you've already been there. You've already uh, you know, found yourself hurt and disillusioned and, and angry of sorts. And maybe your children have suffered the high price. I want to encourage you. God is still a healer. He can heal. He can restore. He can, he can bring you hope again. He can bring you joy again. Then, for those of you that are remarried, do not make your present spouse pay the price for your last marriage. Don't revert back to those old habits. Don't revert back and make your spouse now pay the price for all your other years. Let's believe that when we take communion, we're going to release the Holy Spirit to work. We're going to ask Him to bless our marriages. Robin and I love you dearly. We're praying for you. We ask you to reach out if you need us. We're here to help you. We'll love on you and we bless you. Let's take the Lord's communion together. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for these words of wisdom. And I pray that 1 Peter chapter 3 would just encourage us all week. I pray, God, that uh, it will just speak to all of us and that in the same manner that Jesus did it for us, we would do it for each other. And now, God, Robin and I put our faith with every married couple, every single couple, every divorced couple, God, every couple that is remarried. We put our faith with them. And we ask right now in this communion for you to anoint this communion to bring healing, to bring healings to hearts and homes and children and wives and husbands. Father, and we give you thanks for it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 